Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, everyone. Happy 2023. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That song has been so meaningful for me the last few years. Anybody else, that song's really special? I've seen, yeah, some nods already. It's just an incredible I was just sitting there thinking and what a, what a gift it is to start the year together in, like that, in worship. That we weren't just doing, well, we were doing the, what we do, the church thing, but there was more going on in the room than we're supposed to stand and sing now. Uh, so, Ben, thank you for leading us in that. But we did that and we do that together. Um, I want to share another part of Cindy and I's lives that's been incredibly important and meaningful for us uh, because it's really out of this part of our journey uh, that our message comes from today. Um, a couple of years ago, we just began praying that God would allow us to have uh, friends that are peers and could really walk with us, um, kind of as we are with our flaws and blemishes, and just to be a place where we can do life together. And that's, that is the vision of our church and of our common life communities, our CLCs. And it, it took a while. We, we prayed for a while before we saw kind of that movement began, but... Um, I'm going to embarrass you guys, but George and Carolyn and Nick and Pam and Christy and Jared and then Becky and Brian. Did I leave anybody out? I don't think I did, did I? <laughs> so important that I left someone out, you know. But uh, they, they have been that. Um, and it's just been a, an amazing um, steady work of God in our lives to share our lives uh, with them in that way and I know that's not everybody's experience in this room right now uh, but I want to encourage you I know it is some of your experiences you're also have a tribe a platoon a group that you're doing really sharing your life with and if it's not I want to encourage you to hang in there and pray for that and see what God will do uh, for you. So one of the couples is Brian and Becky. And um, I think when I first met Brian, one of the first things we discovered is we were both old road bikers. So, so we do that some together. You know, if you see those old guys, you know, on the road, it's probably me and Brian out there. And, um, but I've loved becoming friends with Brian. Uh, Brian pastored for 28 years, um, starting in the Northwest and now in then Topeka, or really the high mountain states. What state was it? South Dakota, yeah. And he's walked with me uh, the last couple years, and um, he made the mistake a month or so ago of telling me that John chapter 9 was one of his favorites. Like, huh, we're coming up on John chapter 9. 
So he has graciously uh, agreed to bring God's Word to us this morning from John chapter 9. And uh, it's such a meaningful story that he's going to bring us into uh, this morning. So Brian, I'd like to pray for you and then you come on up. Lord, uh, one of the things that has just been encouraging to me of recent is how we don't have to be more than who we are in you. We bring ourselves before you right as we are. We know you have a vision that we will grow past where we are, but we also know we are your beloved, each of us, right where we are and as we are. So Lord, as, as apprentices of Jesus this morning, we come to you as a community right where we are. We don't have to pretend that we're somewhere else than right where we are. And we pray that you would speak and Lord, bring Brian, our brother, um, to us, anoint his words and bring us words that we need, words of life, words of help, words of help and encouragement, maybe correction. Uh, as we step into this story about your love, your seeing someone who could not see. Uh, help us to take it, receive it, reflect on it, and move forward in the way that you see fit for each of us and then, and then together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I have to tell you, I feel like a 19-year-old who's preaching his first sermon. My, I've got butterflies like you can't believe. It's not like I don't do this on a regular basis, but I guess it's the first time I've done it for you all, and so I'm a I don't stand too much on formality. Um, I want us to go ahead and get into the text this morning. I'm in John chapter 9, and as Jim said, this is one of my, John is my favorite gospel, and John chapter 9 is my favorite story out of the Gospel of John. I just absolutely love what's going on in this story. There's so many, I mean, it's, it's straightforward. Jesus heals this, tells this man to go wash his eyes. He washes his eyes. He's, he can see. He gets drawn before a religious court. And there's all kinds of commotion and drama that goes on there. And then he finds, Jesus finds him in the temple area again later in the day and says, Hey, do you want to believe in the Son of God? And the guy goes, yes, I do. Tell me who he is. He says, you're looking at him. And it's just a wonderful story of faith, a wonderful story about a man who his whole life walked in darkness and then on this particular day found the light. It's a wonderful story. This morning we're only going to cover verses 1 through 12, so let me read those for you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with a saliva and put it on the man's eyes. 
Go, he told him, wash in the pool in Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors, those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed he was. And others said, No, no, no. Look, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then are your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. There's lots of questions I have to ask when I look at this passage. It says they, they are going along. Where are they going along at? We can only assume, and I assume, I make that assumption, that they're still in Jerusalem. It's just after the, past, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. They're still in Jerusalem, and they come upon this man, and his disciples make this, his disciples make this statement. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And they make an assumption based on Old Testament theology, very errant Old Testament theology, that this man or his m mom and dad had sinned in some way to cause him to be born blind. And they were working off of a scripture out of Exodus. Let me pull my paper here so I can read it for you. They were working off of a, off of a verse out of Exodus. It simply says this. It's Exodus 34.7. And it comes in in the middle of a thought, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he, that is God, does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the father to the third and the fourth generation. And they had done something that Jim tells us always not to do. Don't build your theology on a single verse. And that is what they had done. They had taken this verse and built a, a theology on it that said, if, you are, if there is something wrong with you, if you're sick, if you're lame, if you're blind, you have done something and God is punishing you for that. Now, I have to say that sometimes... Our sin gets us into trouble, and there are consequences for that sin. Won't deny that at all. Jesus tells the man that he heals at the pool of Bethsaida, he tells him, go and sin no more. Was there something that led him to be a cripple? But here, Jesus is telling his disciples, that is not the case. He says, neither this man or his parents have sinned. They were pulling from a theology that was based on one verse. And the Jewish theologians seem to have ignored other verses in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 24, 16, it says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each one will die for his own sin. Jeremiah says in chapter 31, Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. Jesus is saying to the disciples, This man and his parents didn't do anything. There's a harsh reality in our world. Harsh reality. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you see the rebellion of the man and the woman, it ruptures the relationship between man and God. It ruptures the relationship between each, each of us as human beings. And it ruptures the relationship with the, with the created order. And the fissures in those, in those ruptured relationships go long and deep. 
And sometimes the situations that we find, sometimes the calamities that we find ourselves in are simply that of a fallen, broken world. And I find it interesting that Jesus says, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus looks at this man and he sees him. Like Debbie said, he sees him. And he tells the disciples, this, this has happened for the work of God to be done in his life. Now that opens up a whole big can of worms that we don't have time to deal with this morning. But some have said, did God allow this man to be born blind so that he could do a work to prove who Jesus was? It's like, no, and that's not what Jesus said at all. There are times in our lives when life rolls around and creates situations that, take a, that hit us blindside out of the blue. We've all had situations where we find ourselves and it's like, what happened here? Okay, God, why did this? We want to ask God, why did this happen? And sometimes it's just simply the fallenness and the brokenness of our world. This man had done nothing. I mean, the Jews had a theology where, where that the, 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 the baby could, quote, sin in utero. And they had a whole theology of, uh, of uh, sin based on uh, pre-existence. And Jesus says, none of this has happened. This has happened so, the, so he can have the work of God done in his life. And I can tell you that there, are, there have been events in my life that I would, there are things that I would not know about God. There were things that I would not understand about God if tragedy had not come into my life. If hardship had not come into my life. Do I like it? Are you kidding me? I hate it. But when I walked get to the other side, like David said, the yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When you get to the other side, it's like, oh, okay, God, I, I don't understand, but I see what you were trying to do. And Jesus says, what's going on in this man's life is simply to provide an opportunity for him to see the work of God. It's craziness, but it works, and it's, it, it just leads us into a deeper relationship with who God is. And then Jesus says something cryptic. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I believe what Jesus is talking about here is his own destiny. His own mission. He is reflecting to the disciples in a very cryptic manner. Look, I've got work that it needs to be done. The Father has sent me here to accomplish a mission. And the time is ticking down. 
We need to be about the work that the Father has given me to do. Jesus knew and understood what his mission was. He knew and understood what he was here to accomplish. Sometimes for us it may not be so clear, it may not be so evident. But Jesus knew and understood what he needed to do. And he didn't want to be wasting time. And he saw that this opportunity with this man born blind was something the Father had put in his path and something that the Father had called him to do. And it's interesting in verse 5, he, he says, While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And it doesn't have near the emphasis that it has in chapter 8. But it's simply a reminder to the disciples, I am the light of the world. That light would be transferred to you and I. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he commissions and gives to us that responsibility of being light in darkness. And we need to take that responsibility seriously. Verse 6, he says, Having spit on the ground, he made mud and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I'm not a germaphobe, but I'm sorry, that's just gross. Uh, and especially what we've been through the last three years. Um, you know, spitting on the ground, making mud, and putting it on this man's eyes. And yet, that is the very thing that Jesus does. My question is, why does the man let him do this? Okay, first of all, they say, here's the man born blind from what? Birth. How do they know he was born blind? I have all these questions. How do they know he was born blind? This man was obviously well known, and, and you know, we're assuming that he's in the temple area. Many of the, the needy in Jerusalem would have stationed themselves in the temple area as people were coming and going for the times of prayer and various other things in the temple. They would have been giving alms to these people. But how do they know that he is born blind? The disciples ask that question. Why was he born blind? Not why is he blind now, but why was he born blind? And my second question is, um, why in the world does this man let Jesus do what he does? If the assumption that he was sitting in the temple area um, uh, getting, collecting some alms, begging, is correct, did he happen to hear Jesus speaking during the, the Festival of Tabernacles? Did he hear the people talking about Jesus? Chapter 7 tells us that, that, that the people were just constantly murmuring and talking about who Jesus was and where he was from and if he was a prophet. Or... So did he hear any of that? We know he knows who Jesus is because at the end of this, this section of the scripture, he says the man they call Jesus did this. So he knows it's Jesus, but how did he know it was Jesus? So many questions, no answers. So Jesus puts spit on this man, spits in the ground, it makes mud, and puts it on his eyes. And then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. 
All right, I don't have a map to show you, and I'm so sorry. But the, the, the temple set on a hill in the eastern, northeastern part of the city, at least the way I reckon at looking at the map. Siloam, the pool, as the crow flies, would have been approximately a half mile from the temple area where they were. And Jesus tells this guy, I want you to go across town and wash your face in the pool at Siloam. There's no, there's, John doesn't say any of, one of the disciples helps him. It doesn't say that there's somebody there who helps him get across town. But it does say, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Again, one, why did he let Jesus put this mud on his face? And two, why did he even begin to obey him to go walk across town? Again, the assumption I'm making, and maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right, is that he had some knowledge, some inkling of who Jesus was because he obeyed him. We were sitting in Bible study one Wednesday night looking at this passage and uh, we got down to the, you know, the verse 12, gets, get down to where he, he washes and, he, and he's seeing. And I had a lady ask me, where was his faith? And before I could even answer, one of my other, gentle, one of my other gentlemen sitting in the group that night who had been through experiencing God with me, which was a, a very popular study in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it's still available. But he said, he said, he obeyed. He went and did what Jesus told him to do. That's where he showed his faith. I went, I patted myself on the back. I've done a half decent job anyway. Um, that was the response of this man's faith. He went and did what Jesus told him to do. And I find it so convicting in my own life because sometimes I struggle with doing what Jesus tells us to do. So the man goes and he, he d goes to the pool of Siloam, which I have interesting that John makes the comment that Siloam actually means sent. And he washes his eyes and he comes home seeing. Now look at what happens next. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some of them claimed that it was. And others said, no, it only looks like him. Can you imagine such a difference that people didn't know if he was the same guy? What happened when this man washed his eyes and his eyes were opened, he could actually see that changed his radiance? The encounter with Jesus, the act of faith and obedience, 
made a change in this man's life in some way physically that people didn't recognize who he was. And I can't imagine that. But on the other hand, I've heard the stories of people who have come to faith in Christ and I've watched them mature and grow and change so that people who knew them in their, quote, previous life didn't recognize who they were. They had changed so much. Jesus, our, every encounter with Jesus would always leave us changed in some way or another. The man replied, I'm saying, how then were your eyes opened? And they, they demanded, and he replied, the man called Jesus, made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. And when I went and washed, and then I could see. And they said, where is this man? And he said, I don't know. Of course, he would say, I don't know, because one, he had never, he'd never seen Jesus. And he, too, he was in a different, completely different location now. And you see here that the man's willingness to testify, this is what Jesus did for me. He, he put mud on my face, told me to go wash, and when I washed, I came back seeing. Some simple challenges for us today. First of all, do we see people the way God sees them? The disciples looked at this man and they only wanted to judge him. They wanted to know who was to blame for his infirmity, infirmity. And Jesus looked at him and saw an opportunity for the glory and the power of God to be displayed. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us to be discerning people. But at the same time, he calls us to look to see people the way he does. And Jesus, this day, saw a man who was in need. And he responded to that need. I think our second challenge is, is to be always aware of the opportunities to advance the kingdom. Opportunities to advance the kingdom where we live, where we work, where we play. I'm going to get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to go work out, I'm going to come home, I'm going to get ready for work, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to count the hours till I get off. Um, and then come home and crash. And it seems like a pretty mundane way to live, and some days it is pretty mundane. But on some days, there's just this opportunity to brighten someone's world. I work with people, and some days it's just a way to sit. Some days are just days to brighten their day just a little. And I don't have time for full-blown conversations about who God is and what he's done. But some days I'm able to brighten somebody's day just with a smile, just with a kind comment. And hope and pray that God uses that in some way in their life. God gives us opportunities to touch people's lives. And we need to be aware of those opportunities and take advantage of them.
Jim prayed earlier this morning that there are times when we will touch people's lives and we will not even be aware of it. Paul says, some have entertained angels unaware. But we need to pray and ask God to help us be aware of the opportunities that are presented to us for the good of the kingdom. As we live out our live out our lives from day to day, are we taking actions that show that we have faith in Christ? Are we taking actions that show that we have faith in Christ? This man jumps up. I'm assuming he's sitting down with Jesus putting mud on his face. He jumps up and heads for the pool of, of Siloam, no, asking no questions, just doing it. Does our obedience reflect our faith? Is our faith reflected by our obedience? And then our last challenge, connected with our faith showing obedience, is does our life show the transforming power of Christ? It's not unusual with a new believer to see them change so rapidly, change so quickly, and just be awed by the change that God is taking place in their lives. But you and I, if we've been walking with Jesus even for 10, 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, 50 years, doesn't mean we're whole, doesn't mean we're complete, doesn't mean we're perfect. What is God doing in our lives right now? How is He moving to transform us in such a way that it's perceptible and perceivable by the people around us who don't know who Jesus is. I am convinced that we do little things every day that touch the lives of people around us that point them to Jesus. And like I said, sometimes we're unaware of it. Just like we don't know what impacted this blind man's life to cause him to express his faith in Jesus the way he did. But are we living in such a way that expresses the transforming power of Christ? This man, through the tragedy of human existence, is born blind. Jesus sees him as a person in need. Jesus sees him as a person who can display the power and the glory of God. And he sees a man who is in need. He responds to that need. The man responds to Jesus. And there's a wonderful, wonderful miracle that takes place. And I would submit to you that any time we speak for Christ we, for the king and the kingdom, and there is a minimal, minor inkling of a response in a person's life that moves them toward Christ, we have seen a major victory. The Spirit works in unusual and mysterious ways. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to use us to move, to, to work in people's lives. And are we responsive to that? The band's going to come. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. 
But God has spoken to your heart this morning and you need to respond to him. And now is that time to do so.